My name's Patricia King, and today I have an exciting message for you to hear. Stop! What are you thinking? We can't make it look like Patricia King is endorsing fighting. <clears throat> Hi, folks. Uh, Chris Rosebeer here. Just want to remind you, Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon you, your generous gifts, and your financial contributions to continue to bring this important radio outreach to you as well as to the world. And unfortunately, we don't have the the major cash resources that... Patricia King does, but we have you, our listener audience, to help uh, support us financially so that we can keep bringing this radio program to you into the world. If you don't already support Fighting for the Faith financially, you can do so by visiting our website, fightingforthefaith.com. When you get there, you'll see two friendly yellow buttons. One says donate, the other says join our crew. When you join our crew, you're signing up to automatically contribute $6.95 every month to the ongoing work and mission of Fighting for the Faith and Pirate Christian Radio. And there are perks to being a crew member. Just keep listening to the program to find out what the latest perk is. And, of course, if you would like to make a one-time contribution, you could do so by clicking on the Donate button. Or you can make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith and then send that to Post Office Box 508 Fishers, Indiana, zip code 46038. All right, on to the program. We loved making it. We hope you enjoyed listening to it. Here we go. It's time... Another edition of Fighting for the Faith, Wednesday, August 22nd, 2012. We will be doing our light edition today and launching into a new series, if you would. Tuning in, you're listening to Fighting for the Faith. My name is Chris Rosebro. I am your servant in Jesus Christ, and this is the program that dishes up a daily dose of biblical discernment. The goal of which help you to think biblically, help you to think critically, help you to compare what people are saying in the name of God to the Word of God. Now, once a week, uh, because of the uh, the time constraints that I have as a result of my study, writing, researching, production, and all that kind of stuff, I have a movable day that I call my light day. <laughs> And we've been putting it right in the middle of the week since I got back from my vacation. And uh, we're going to continue doing that. Now, last week we con- we completed a series of lectures by Dr. Corey Moss regarding ancient Christianity, the ancient church, uh, the history of, of the church. And what we're going to do uh, today is we're going to launch into a study of a biblical uh, book and the book we're, we're going to be studying is the uh, book of Colossians, and uh, this is, will be a series of lectures presented by Doctor, uh, not Doctor, but Pastor Pastor Ron Hodel. He's not a doctor, but man, is he's a great pastor. Pastor Ron Hodel of uh, Faith Lutheran Church in Capistrano Beach, California, and so. We're just going to get right into it. Uh, without any further ado, here is Pastor Hodel and uh, his uh, first lecture on uh, Paul's epistle to the church in Colossae. Here we go. Okay, well, we're going to begin our study of Colossians. And um, so 
Let's open with prayer. Gracious Lord and Heavenly Father, we give you thanks for the blessings that you have given to us through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We thank you for calling us to faith. We thank you for uh, the, the working through the apostles and, and inspiring them to write down words that are valid, not only for those to whom they wrote it, but also uh, even to us so many centuries later. Lord, bless us in our time together. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, Colossians, I don't have any handouts, but uh, if you have a Bible, it might be nice to know. Most of you saw the movie, so you didn't buy the book, but that's all right. Um, uh, The jokes are free. Sorry. That's the only one I've got. Uh, Start with uh, just a little bit of uh, um, uh, kind of preamble information on on Colossians. Uh, First, we want to talk a little bit about the the authorship and the date, and then some some troubling words that come up in Colossians that uh, we need to to think about. And and, uh, so uh, to start with, just authorship and date. Um, The early Christians uniformly said that Paul wrote Colossians. Um, recently though, critics have, have, uh, assumed that it was a disciple of Paul that wrote it. And what they do is they see differences in the way that the, the letter is written, different style of sentences, some unique terms and expressions that show up in Colossians that don't show up in some of Paul's other writings. And so they say, see, this letter couldn't have been written by Paul. It had to have been written by somebody else. Um, and, uh, as you look at Colossians and you look at Ephesians, they're, they're very close together. Ephesians, there's no, there's no question that Paul wrote it. Plus, how often do we change our style of writing over time? Uh, and, and how often do we use expressions in one place because they're appropriate in one place uh, and we don't use them in another place because it just doesn't come up. It doesn't need to come up because that, that's not an issue. And so uh, it's not a good idea uh, that the uh, to go with the critics on this, the, the modern day critics, and say Paul didn't write it. We go with the, the early Christians who said Paul wrote it. I mean, if you think about it, they were the ones closest to it. So we ought to, we ought to give them uh, the benefit of the doubt and say, you know, they probably know more than we know about who wrote it. Um, it's, uh, it's written in uh, the... Uh, the middle of the first century. The critics say it was written late in the first century or even off into the second century. We say it's written in the middle of the first century. We give Paul, we say Paul's the one who wrote it, and uh, um, we leave it at that. Uh, he claims to have written it. The, the, the letter itself claims to have been written by Paul. Um, so if you were going to challenge that, we would expect to find challenges to that immediately. Um, you know, the, no, he didn't. Yes, he did. No, he didn't. And the early church never questioned it. Never questioned it. There's a few terms that show up. Uh, the first term that shows up in verse 16 is the word firstborn. And uh, the, the heretic um, Arius, who was 260 to about 336, um, and of course, uh, who gave life and birth, if you will, to the present day Jehovah's Witnesses, they misunderstand what Paul is saying by that term firstborn. They suggest that, that Jesus was a created being and not the true eternal God. But Paul doesn't understand firstborn that way. He understands firstborn more along the lines of he is, 
he, he has all the rights of firstborn. He is the ruler and the heir of all creation. He exists before all of creation. All things were created through him um, and for him. So uh, that word firstborn is going to show up, and that, that uh, creates big issues for our neighbors across the street. The other thing that comes up is, if you will, an early form of Gnosticism. Um, and some of this, well, I'll just read what I've, I've got here, but um, uh, some of this comes from uh, one of our new commentaries, Concordia Commentary on Colossians by Paul uh, Dieterding. Uh, he was pastor up in Carson City, Nevada, uh, where Scott Keith uh, and, and Joy are, are members. And I think he's taken a call since then. But uh, uh, he uh, wrote um, this commentary on, on Colossians. Our knowledge of the heresy uh, combated by the, by the letter to the Colossians is limited to those passages in the letter in which the apostle writes against it. Paul's references to the Jewish practices, festivals, and dietary scruples point to a Jewish element to the Colossian heresy. So there's some sort of Jewish connection that's going on here. Nevertheless, the false teaching against which this letter was written differed from the simple Judaizing countered by the apostles' letters to the Philippians and to the Galatians. In opposing the heresy at Colossae, Paul laid great stress on the correct teaching concerning the person and the work of Christ. And that's what the Gnostics are going to be. That's where the Gnostics are going to be challenging or being challenged by Christianity. He gave emphasis to terms such as fullness and filling, knowledge, wisdom, understanding, the revelation of mysteries and perfection. He spoke against a religious practice that was exclusive um, had great interest, and, and, this, and the, the, the uh, Gnostics had great interest in, in cosmic beings and cosmic things. It valued uh, initiations, asceticism. From this we see the Colossian heresy bore a number of similarities to the Gnosticism of the 2nd and 3rd centuries A.D., This suggests that, like several other New Testament documents, the letter to the Colossians was written against a point of view which later developed to become, or at least an element of it, uh, the religious uh, movement known as Gnosticism. So that's going to come up in, in Colossians. Luther had some things to say about Colossians, um, and one, uh, se- one, one section in his, uh, what we have as his uh, 35th volume, he gives a, an introduction to each of the New Testament books. And so this is what Luther has to say about Colossians. It's a very short section. Luther says, Just as the epistle to the Galatians resembles and is modeled on the epistle to the Romans, uh, uh, comprising in outline the same material that is more fully and richly developed in Romans. So this epistle resembles that to the, to the Ephesians and comprises also in outline the same contents. First, he praises and wishes for the Colossians that they continue and increase in faith. He delineates what the gospel and faith are, namely a wisdom which recognizes Christ as Lord and God, crucified for us, which has been hidden for ages, but now brought into the open through his ministry. This is the first chapter, Luther says. Second chapter, Luther's summary of the second chapter. He warns them against the doctrines of men, which are always contrary to faith. 
He depicts these doctrines more clearly than they are depicted anywhere else in Scripture and criticizes them, criticizes them in a masterful way. In chapter 3, he exhorts them to be fruitful in the pure faith, doing all sorts of good works for one another, and he describes for some various stations in life the works which are appropriate to them. And then finally, in chapter 4, he commends himself to their prayers and gives them greetings and encouragement. So far, Luther on Colossians. What I hope to get to or through uh, today is Colossians 1, uh, 1 through 14. And so, why don't we go ahead and, and take a look at that. <clears throat> I'll read it if you didn't bring your Bibles. have to bring your Bibles next time. We have them for sale in the campus bookstore. <laughs> Paul. <laughs> Rent. You want a used copy? <laughs> See you after class. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Of this you have heard before in the word of the truth, the gospel, which has come to you, as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and growing as it also does among you, since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth, just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant. He is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the Spirit. And so, from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. May you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain, the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. It's the section we want to look at. And so, uh, just verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother. Ephesians begins like all the other epistles. In fact, the epistles tend to follow a Greco-Roman style of writing letters. The author is mentioned first, and then uh, the person who is addressed gets mentioned next, and then there's a formal word of, of greeting. And so Paul here introduces himself to the Colossians. He has to introduce himself to the Colossians because as far as we know, he had never met them and they had never met him. He had never visited there. Uh, he had probably, uh, probably never met the Christians who were there. This is his first conversation with them. It's his first correspondence with them. 
And so he writes to them, he says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and Timothy, our brother. So what authorizes Paul to write to the Colossians? And why should they even bother listening to him? You get this letter in the mail and it says, Paul. Um, And then, of course, from that, um, what authorizes these words not only for them, but for, for all the Christians and all the generations to come? And the answer comes in the second word Paul uses. He says, apostle. Paul, an apostle. Um, Apostle. Uh, Simple definitions would be sent one, or one sent on behalf of another, on a mission. Uh, One under authority. And Paul calls himself an apostle of Christ Jesus. Now we can go a little deeper with this word apostle. Now, Paul has called himself an apostle, uh, not only here, but also in in other places. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, Paul writes, Nor did we seek glory from people, whether from you or from others, though we could have made demands as an apostle of of Christ, but we were gentle among you, like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. Paul calls himself an apostle. And when he calls himself an apostle, it brings up a related word, uh, a Hebrew word, shaliach. And the word shaliach and apostle are related to the same word, uh, the word to send. Um, So a shaliach is someone who is sent as well. Um, But it means more than just to be sent. And we know that because we know some of the functions of a shaliach. And this is going to tie very much so as you listen to this and then tie it together with what Pastor Rody said in his sermon this morning. Um, a shaliach is an authorized representative of the person who sends him. And the, the, the identifying characteristic of a shaliach is his authority. The rabbis said, the one sent by a man is as the man himself. The one sent by a man is as the man himself. So just kind of an aside, think of what God has commissioned his pastors to do. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. And then on Monday, Thursday, in that long confession and absolution a part of the service, you heard these words. Do you, the pastor said, do you believe the forgiveness I speak is not my forgiveness, but God's? The rabbis said, the one sent by a man is as the man himself. And so it is as if Jesus commissions his disciples to be his shaliachs, if you will to function under him with his authority. Um, Now, when it comes to the Shaliaks, how much authority did they have? Well, men, if you were, you know, some of you have to think back and some of you aren't there yet, but you, 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 you fall in love. You know, and you're really in love and you say, I like you. And she says, I like you. And then you say, I like you more than I said, I like you. And she said, well, I, I like you more than I said, I like you too. And then you go, I I, I love you. And she said, I love you too. And then the next phrase, will you 
Marry me. Okay. Very hard word to get out of your mouth. Okay. Well, gentlemen, if you had a shaliac, you could just have him say it. <laughs> if you can't say it yourself, hire yourself a shaliac and have him say it. Uh, uh, engagements could be executed through a shaliac. Divorce could be executed through a shaliac. Um, the shaliac had the authority to speak, negotiate, and even vote in the stead of the one they represent. They're operating, I guess today you could say, under power of attorney. You see? Um, The rabbis considered Moses, Elijah, Elisha, Ezekiel to be shalak of God, since things normally reserved for God took place through them. Now, obviously, you don't make yourself a shaliak. You don't make yourself an apostle. And by the way, you don't just set up shop and make yourself a pastor. Um, Paul says he's an apostle, verse 1, by the will of God. The Lord made him an apostle. It was not Paul's idea, riding along the road to Damascus, kind of looking at where his life was going. He said, this is really a miserable life. And, you know, killing Christians and whatnot. I, you know, I think I just, I, you know what I'd really like to do? I would like to turn the world upside down. You know, that wasn't his idea. Um, he had no say in it at all. He had spent his life, as, as he reports Jesus saying to him, he had spent his whole life kicking against the goads. Now, I didn't grow up on a farm like Carrie did, and so I don't know what a goat is, but a goat is what she used to use to, to get her sheep to go where they were supposed to go. It was a stick with a, a, a sharpened end, and she'd poke them, all right? And I hear from Tom that she still does that at home, and she has this stick, and Robert and, and Kea, you know, they misbehave, and she's got this poker, and no, that's not true. That's not true. You can take that off the video. Um, <laughs> A goat is a, a stick that they used uh, was pointed at the end uh, to uh, get animals to do what you wanted the animal to do. And here Paul is kicking against the goads. It's a dumb thing to do, kick against a sharp stick. Um, it wasn't until that Damascus Road experience that the Lord kicked Paul into the faith. In other words, it was God's active will that made Paul an apostle. Um, it wasn't something that he took upon himself. It was enacted by another. It was enacted by the will of God, Paul says. Paul, an apostle of Christ, by the will of God. Um, And Jesus invested Paul with his authority for the sake of the mission. So I guess you could think about it this way. Just as Christ was sent with the authority of God the Father, and he shares all that belongs to the Father... The mark that identified the apostles of Christ is the authority delegated to them by Christ. And so, in their commission to preach the word, the apostles had the authority of Christ himself. They'd been called by God, called by the Lord. They had submitted themselves to his will. They'd answered his call. And they were sent with authority to proclaim his word to the world. 
Now, that's important because it means that these apostolic documents that make up the New Testament are the very words of God. Yes, they were written by men, but they are also the very words of God. And since they're the very words of God, they are authoritative, not for some people some of the time, but for all of the people all the time. Authority for the Authoritative for the church of all times and in all places. Um, just because this epistle was written to the Colossians doesn't mean that it wasn't also written to us. It's what the scriptures mean when the scriptures say that the church is is built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets from Ephesians chapter 2 verse 20. It sounds kind of like a dumb thing to say that the church is is built on the foundation of a, the apostles and prophets unless the apostles and the prophets before them write with the same with with the authority of Christ himself then what the apostles and the prophets have to say hold the same water as if God were saying it for God was saying it through them. Um, and maybe that's why amongst the list of gifts that come up in, in 1 Corinthians and in Ephesians, maybe that's why uh, prophets and, and uh, apostles, I mean, are given kind of priority in, in that list. Another place is Paul bases his... Um, apostolic office on his being an eyewitness of the resurrection not so much of the resurrection but of the resurrected Jesus he bases his apostleship on that call that the Lord put to him on the road to Damascus and on his his calling to preach especially to the non-Jews he becomes known as the apostle to the Gentiles he always goes to the synagogue first that's where he always starts um, but but when he gets the left foot of fellowship rather quickly from the synagogue, then he heads off to the, uh, to the Gentiles. All right, we're going to pause the lecture right there, and we're going to pay some bills. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address, talkback at fightingforthefaith.com, or you can ask to be my friend on Facebook. It's facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian, or you can follow me on Twitter. My name there, at pirate Christian. We will be right back. If you think God is a black woman named Papa, then you need to get out of the shack and read your Bible. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. Pirate Christian Radio Theater presents Death of a Salesman. Are ye a salesman? Why, yes, I am. Can I interest you in some... Listening to Byron Christian Radio. It's Marty Python's Flying Circus Church. Thanks for calling Saddleback Customer. 
customer service. This is Josh. How can I help you today? Yes, I would like to return the Jesus I received from you. I heard there was a 60-day return policy. Yes, sir, there is. But can I ask you why you want to return Jesus? Well, I was told if I received Jesus, he'd fix all my problems. And quite honestly, I'm not satisfied with this Jesus. Sir, what is your Jesus doing right now? Nothing. He just sits there. Have you taken time to feed your Jesus? Well, I went to church for the preaching, but nothing has happened. Sir, if you read the fine print on the warranty, you'll see that you are responsible for feeding, not the church or the pastor. Oh. Well, can I exchange this Jesus for another? Sir, what kind of Jesus are you looking for? I need the Jesus that forgives sins. You know, changes your life on the inside, helps you overcome the sins of the flesh, never leaves me nor forsakes me, and will take me to heaven when I die. Oh, I'm sorry, sir. We don't stock that Jesus here. You'll have to go somewhere else to have that Jesus. Well, I guess I'll just stick with the one I got since I already opened the box. Wonderful, sir. Can I interest you in getting Jesus for your friends and family? Why would I do that? Hello, I'm Brandon House with Worldview Weekend. I want to invite you to visit our website, worldviewweekend.com, and find out about my brand new book, Religious Trojan Horse. This is a book I've been working on for two and a half years, and it describes in great detail how the left and the right are coming together both religiously and spiritually to build a false dominant church. You can find all the details at worldviewweekend.com. Again, it's Religious Trojan Horse. It's 500 pages over 600 footnotes. Now, while you're at worldviewweekend.com, I'd like you also to check out our Situation Room. You can have access to over $8,000 in biblical Worldview Weekend resources, including over 1,400 MP3s of my daily radio show and biblical Worldview Weekend keynote presentations. You can also watch about 150 of our Worldview Weekend DVDs on demand as a member of the Situation Room. Full details for that are at situationroom.net, situationroom.net. You can also visit our website and find out about our free Biblical Worldview Weekend rallies held all over the country. All the details are at worldviewweekend.com. Have you purchased your airline tickets for your summer getaway yet? If not, don't pay more for your airfare, hotel room, or rental car than you need to. Long-time Pirate Christian Radio featured advertiser Cheapo Air is your one-stop shop for all of your travel needs. And we've got a special promo code for you to use at Cheapo Air to save an additional $10 off of Cheapo Air's already low prices. So visit piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheap. Write down the promo code, then click on the web banner and book your travel today. And remember, a portion of your purchase will go to support Pirate Christian Radio. That website address, again, is piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheap. And thank you for your support. Cowabunga. All right, we're back. 
Warning, listening to Fighting for the Faith could cause you to become supremely dissatisfied with your church, especially if your pastor isn't preaching the gospel, preaching God's word, pointing you to Jesus, preaching Jesus, you know, stuff like that. Just a reminder, Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means that we depend upon you and your generous gifts and financial contributions to continue to bring Fighting for the Faith to you and to the world. You can partner with us by visiting our website, fightingforthefaith.com. When you get there, you'll see two friendly yellow buttons. One says donate, the other says join our crew. When you join our crew, you are signing up to automatically contribute $6.95 every month to the ongoing work and mission of Fighting for the Faith and Pirate Christian Radio. Of course, if you'd like to specify the amount that you would like to contribute, you could do so by clicking on the donate button or you can make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith and then send it to Post Office Box 508, Fishers, Indiana, zip code 46038. All right, here is the balance of uh, Pastor Hodel's lecture, uh, first lecture on the book of Colossians. Here we go. Um, two other men are mentioned in these first eight verses of Colossians. Timothy is mentioned and Epaphras is mentioned. Paul doesn't call Timothy an apostle. He's not an apostle. Neither does he call Epaphras um, an apostle. Epaphras is the founding, the founding pastor at Colossae. Um, but Paul is their apostle. He's the one who has the apostolic authority conferred by Christ himself to provide God's answer. It's not Paul's answer to the problems that are going on in Colossae. It's not his ideas. It's God's answer to the matters that are troubling the Colossians. And that's why the Colossians should listen to Paul. Paul's writing to them out of an official capacity. He's writing as an apostle. He is the Lord's delegate. He is the ambassador of the Lord sent with the full authority of Christ himself. And that's why his words are not only authoritative for the Colossians, but also for us as well. Paul later mentions Timothy. Um, uh, well, in verse, the first verse, he mentions Timothy. Um, and uh, Timothy apparently was with Paul when, when he received this letter and when he wrote this letter, not received this letter, but when he wrote this letter, uh, uh, he was with Paul in Rome. He calls Timothy our brother, although nobody had ever met him. He calls him our brother, or at least the Colossians hadn't met him. Um, they were brothers by virtue of their common faith. That's what made them brothers. They belonged to the same spiritual family, even though they'd never met him. Um, and here, brother could also have that uh, reference to Timothy being a fellow laborer in the vineyard along with Paul. So it kind of has a, a bit of a double, a double meaning there. Um, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father. So he addresses the letter to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae. So, first off, that word saints. Um, a lot of people look at the word saint, and she's such a saint. She's so spiritually more noble than I am. That's my wife. Um, uh, uh, but that's not what saints means. Saints means the holy ones, ones who have set, been set apart from the world by the Lord. We're in the world, but we're not of the world anymore. We're set apart to serve and to glorify God. Um, you don't make yourself an apostle. 
neither do we make ourselves holy. Uh, sometimes the scripture talks about being made holy, but usually it talks about being declared holy through faith and, and trust in Christ. In Christ, we are forgiven for all of our unholiness. So not only are the Colossian, are the, the Colossian Christians holy, all who believe in Christ are saints. All who believe in Christ are ones who have been declared holy by the righteousness that has been imputed or credited to them, to us, by Christ. Christ's righteousness credited to us into your account, your empty account, your your in the red account, so red that you can't possibly even think of baking it up. His full righteousness, yours. And your unrighteousness and my terrible unrighteousness credited to him. And then he becomes the propitiation for my sins. Um, So it appears that the members of the Colossian congregation had been faithful to the Lord. So right off, we know that these are, he addresses them as faithful brothers, calls them faithful brothers. They had stayed faithful to the Lord in spite of all the challenging uh, heresies that they were being faced with. All different kinds of things coming their way, and they're remaining faithful. It's a challenge, though. It's a challenge. So he calls them faithful brothers. And the, in Jewish writing, in the way the Jews would understand that word, that's a relationship word. Uh, if you remember in the, in the Gospels, uh, Jesus, when he would call a woman uh, a daughter, the daughters of Jerusalem, or, or sister, that picture would be that she was Jewish. All right. Um, Gentile women were called, well, one he calls a dog when it came to the Syrophoenician woman. And yet even in the dogs, he finds greater faith than in all, all of Israel. Um, so here, brothers means fellow believers. And then, of course, in other places, brothers can mean um, fellow laborers in Christ's mission. So you just kind of have to look at the context and, and decide which, which way it's, it's talking. Um, faithful brothers in Christ. So Paul's making a point here that there's a unique relationship that believers have with Christ. They're connected to Christ. They belong to Christ and us too by baptism, by the word of God that has brought us into a saving relationship, a saving faith. And through such faith, we are in Christ. Um, It's a relationship that has been created by God through baptism, through the gospel. And and it's not, um, what do I want to say? The relationship is is one of faith that's directed toward Jesus in Christ. But it's not just the, Christ isn't just the object of our faith here. Um, He certainly is the object of our faith. That's the important thing about understanding faith. It's not that I have faith, you know, um, uh, you can you can have faith in all different kinds of things. Some things you can have faith in, and it's a, a, a it's a good idea to have faith in in that person. When uh, the fireman comes to rescue me out of a building, I have faith that he picks me up and carries me on his back and takes me out. Right? You know, but uh, it's the object of your faith that is terribly important. I like to use the example: if you you could have all the faith in the world, I mean, greater faith. 
than, than anybody else in the whole world in me to fix the brakes on your car. And you know what your faith is going to get you? Killed. Because <laughs> I know nothing about brakes other than you push on that pedal and, and the car stops. That's what I know about brakes and something squeezing on another thing and it slows you down. Um, but how that whole thing works, I have no idea. All right. So the object of your faith is terribly important. It's eternally important. So the object of our faith is Christ. But those who are in Christ here participate in everything that Christ has accomplished for us by his redeeming work. So being in Christ, you are, you are linked to him. And that's that whole passage that's so wonderful in, in, uh, in uh, God was really, on, he was on the mark when, when he wrote uh, Romans chapter 6. That we, uh, we die a death like his and, and raised together in a life like his. In a resurrection like his. Um, where he goes, we go. We are in Christ. And all that is Christ's is ours. Um, there's a prayer that we pray after communion in the communion liturgy. And we're strengthened in the sacrament when we are in communion with Christ in a most intimate way. We're strengthened in love toward God and in fervent love toward one another. Um, and the purpose of this letter in Coloss- uh, to the Colossians is that they remain faithful. Uh, the letters addressed to the Colossian Christians in regards to the struggles and the troubles that they're having. Colossae uh, is now in modern Turkey. It's about 100, mi- 100 miles east of, of Ephesus. It's on the banks of a river. It's got rugged mountains nearby. It was an important stop on uh, the major trade route between the east and the west. Uh, we also know that, that this letter was supposed to be uh, uh, shared with the church at Laodicea. We hear about the church in Laodicea in the book of Revelation. And also in Hierapolis, which is um, another city that is, is close by. Um, so ultimately this letter is addressed to, to all the saints. So it's addressed to us. And Paul begins by saying, grace and peace to you. Paul's letter begins where the Christian life begins with the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's where our life begins. Um, and that's where Paul takes it, starts it. Um, Grace, God's unmerited love for sinners. Grace and peace. The attitude, if you will, of the heart that results from knowing that the eternal God, whose laws we have broken, is at peace with you through the shed blood of his son, Jesus Christ. He's at, God's at peace with you um, receiving his forgiveness uh, you can have a clean conscience you know what it's like to have a dirty conscience you, know, you definitely you just don't want to be around the person that brings up memory of a dirty conscience you don't want to go there high school kids you take the trip you know around the locker so you don't have to go by that person's locker okay but with a clean conscience, you're at peace. It's peace that comes from knowing that the Almighty God has forgiven all your sins 
and that most importantly, he's at peace with you. I can be at peace with God, but what's really important is God's at peace with me, and he is through Christ. And in a sense, there's no greater blessing that you can pronounce on anyone than the blessings of grace and peace. I think it's still up on our on our website. I think it's an, maybe a video. Um, I think it is a video of uh, Dr. Nestingen when he was here, and he spoke on on uh, confession and absolution and granting one another God's peace. And um, don't mean to tell stories out of turn, Gail, but that's one of the things that we do that we learn from Dr. Nestingen was. Uh, um, Either I drop her off at work or she drops me off at work. Um, drive up to her school and it's, nobody else is there but the janitor's car and, and uh, drop her off and say good day, good, have a good day and, and uh, hope everything goes well. And finally, God's I love you and God's peace. That's kind of our code language for saying, I forgive you for all things. Um, and we learn that from Dr. Nestingen, that we share God's peace with one another. Love toward God and fervent love toward one another. And the greatest thing that you can offer another person is your forgiveness. It's Forgiveness isn't... It's not that you can forget things, right? But it's that you'll never hold it against them. You're letting it go. And to have somebody say, I forgive you, is such a rich thing. And Paul says, grace and peace. It's the first thing Jesus said. Didn't we hear that this morning? Comes to the disciples. The first thing he says to his disciples is, I forgive you. Peace be with you. Because, boy, what would you think? Yeah, you see the, the, the risen Lord standing there in your midst and you remember vividly the last three days. You remember the Last Supper. You remember the time in the garden. You remember falling asleep how many times, not being able to, to pray. You remember his, his being attacked in the garden. Um, you remember running for your life, leaving him on his own. Uh, you remember... Maybe, maybe you could even see it from a distance, his crucifixion and the cries and the pain and then the Saturday. All that's going through your mind and then, then the risen Jesus comes into your midst and the, probably the first thing I'd expect to hear is, how dare you? Well, I, I was with you for three years. I told you about this for three years and you abandoned me. He doesn't do that at all. He does the exact opposite. Peace be with you. Those are strengthening words. So Paul starts them with God's peace. Um, Now, some point out that um, God the Son isn't mentioned, as he is mentioned in so many other uh, of Paul's other introductions. You see, so, see, Paul didn't mention Jesus here, and he always mentions Jesus in all of his other letters, so Paul must not have written this. 
No, that's not true. Paul's got another plan in mind. He's going to have to deal with, with the deity of Christ in this letter. So he'll get to that. And others say, you know what? He doesn't mention the Holy Spirit. I mean, he gets around to the Holy Spirit about verse 8. My goodness. Takes him till verse 8 to get to the Holy Spirit. Um, and change the subject, kind of. Um, keeping it clean, okay, um, and not giving me a sampling of some of the colorful language in the movie. Tell me about the movie The Descendants. Like, uh, in one sentence, what was the storyline? Anybody? Anybody seen it? My wife's from Hawaii, so, you know, I got to... Yeah. 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 About a, a father who didn't have a relationship, really, with his two daughters. Yeah. Yeah, sure. That's, that's, a, that's a big part of that whole story. Yeah. Where was it filmed? Hawaii. Hawaii, right. Okay. Um, how did it do at the theaters? I don't know. Did it do okay? All right. Um, who was the main actor? George Clooney. All right. Um, what was the name of the director? This is a big movie, folks. Big name, big name actors in this movie. Who was the director? No, it wasn't Coppola. It was a guy by the name of Alexander Payne. I had to look him up. He, another movie he directed was Sideways. Now, do you think, do you think that Alexander Payne was bothered by the fact that, that uh, we didn't know he was the director? No. Um, why do you think it doesn't bother him that you didn't know that he was the director? Because you paid your bucks, you went to the theater, you gave money, you saw his movie, you liked his movie maybe, I don't know. But, um, and that's, you know, he, that's, that's, he's happy, all right? Um, maybe he wants the Academy Awards to remember he, he was the director, but, but uh, not, not us here. Um, well, tie that to Jesus isn't mentioned at the beginning there, and neither is the Holy Spirit. And there are some people who say that Lutherans, uh, we, we forget to mention the Holy Spirit, and, and that the Holy Spirit is bothered by Paul's uh, omission here as well. What you have to understand is there's no competition in the Godhead. Uh, there's no need to, to keep score. Um, if you will, the center of attention is on Christ. The Holy Spirit has worked it that way. Our salvation is through Christ. So when Christ's work is, is glorified, the Holy Spirit is, if, you, if the Holy Spirit can be, tickled pink. Um, because our attention is on the main actor. Our attention is on Christ who has saved us. And if we have faith in Christ Jesus, the Holy Spirit has done his work, and the Holy Spirit is glorified as well, and so is the Father. There's no need to have this competition in the Godhead. Um, so, uh, kind of just as a, as a close to this, this section here, um, false teachings were tempting the Colossian Christians to give up on the faith that they had been taught. The testing, the, the things of, of their testing were not little things. It was the difference between truth and error, between good and evil, more importantly, between life and death. Colossae is a little insignificant backwoods uh, neighborhood congregation full of, full of dead ends and one ways. Nothing like Jerusalem in size, nothing like Rome in size, nothing like Corinth in size. Uh, surrounded by many other more important churches. And just think of all those churches that get mentioned in, in the book of Revelation. There, those seven churches of Revelation are all surrounding uh, Colossae. Um, 
But still, as little as Colossae was and as unimportant as they were, God would not abandon this little gathering of believers in Colossae. And he inspires St. Paul to, to devote an entire letter to them, a letter that is saved and, and we hear about and, and is meaningful and, and faith-building even to us today. And so um, in the face of all the different challenges to Christianity that come our way, to demythologize the Bible, to water down the word of God so that it's not offensive. Pastor Rody just should not have preached about um, about excommunication today. Oh, that's just a bad word, and we shouldn't talk about those kind. No, in light of all of that, in light of all of that, all the things that are challenging us, God doesn't give up on us either. Um, he's called us to faith through the gospel. He's called us to faith in the waters of holy baptism. He's placed all of us together in Christ. Um, and through his called pastors, uh, he nourishes us in word and sacrament. And he promises to be with us always through thick and thin, even to the end of the age. Well, I thought we were going to get through 14 verses. Okay. That was verse 2. Um, uh, we'll pick up at verse 3 uh, next week. The Lord be with you. Thank you. Good lecture. Interesting information. Good stuff. So what'd you think? I'd love to get your feedback. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address, talkback at fightingforthefaith.com, or you can ask to be my friend on Facebook. It's facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian, or you can follow me on Twitter. My name there, at pirate Christian. Till tomorrow, may God richly bless you in the grace and mercy won by Jesus Christ in his vicarious penal substitutionary death on the cross for all of your sins. Amen.